Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is March 21st, Wednesday, 2012, and our guest will be Denise Cullen, who is the Executive Director of GRASP Grief Recovery. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little plug for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge laylight support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available on Amazon. For more information, go to our website to hamsnetwork.org slash book. And our guest tonight is Denise Cullen, and she's here waiting for us. Denise, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine this evening, Ken. Thanks. Well, it's good to have you aboard. Tell us a little bit, what is GRASP? What does that stand for? Is that an acronym? It, yeah, it sure is. It's uh, grief recovery after a substance passing. And what does that mean, grief recovery after substance passing? What do you do? What, what well, kind of organization are you? For the most part, we well, we've kind of taken on a new slant since we took over the organization uh, January first in two thousand ten. Initially, what happened is um, our son died of a drug overdose after twelve years of struggling with with addictive illness and um i'm i'm a licensed clinical social worker and work with terminally ill patients and grief and death and dying were kind of my my specialty and i was very comfortable with that but when it comes to your own child it's uh, you know a whole different thing so i was trying to find help um for myself and some kind of support and there really was nothing and even books you know of the loss of a child there there was Nothing out there. I, I must have bought 25 books, and they, one I think had one line in it about this sort of death. And so, I, my husband, a friend of my husband's, finally found Grasp, which was run by the original founders, Russ and Pat Whitberger, at the time. And so I, there was no group in California. In fact, at that time, there were only four groups across the nation. And um, so I just decided to start my own. And it's just a, it's just a support group for people who have been down the same road, which is a very very unique loss. Um, as you know, there's a lot of stigma associated with drug use and addiction, and you can't quite get the same support from someone who's had someone they love die of, of a car accident or or you know natural causes or something like that when when you're your person and in most cases but not certainly not all they're people that come to grasp our parents and so um we have face-to-face support groups and then what i started to say um that we began almost two years ago is uh a facebook online support which is really wonderful we have a thousand almost 200, 199 people that come to Facebook. And so there's someone there almost all the time. So you don't have to wait a month or two weeks to go to the support group or to talk to someone. So that's basically um, what we are. Um, When I started my own group um, in October 2009, uh, shortly after that, the, the Whitburgers, we're thinking of shutting grass 
down because of um, some health problems and and you know personal reasons. And we just thought, no, we, this is so desperately needed that you know let let us take it over. So that's what we did, and we, we created a new website and and started the Facebook and and. Now we have 40 chapters across the country and five or six more that are, you know, in the works. Well, this is really a unique and a very important uh, organization that you guys have formed, and I think it's really important that it does keep going. Uh, you mentioned a website. Where can people find your website? It's um, Grasp Help Altogether, uh, G-R-A-S-P-H-E-L-P dot org. And then they can go directly to Facebook from there. They can read articles that um, some of our members have written, some I've written. You know, we have um, quite a few things that they can comment on. It's a very interactive website. And um, the book, uh, I I should mention the book, because when I was talking about there were no books, um, Pat and Russ Whitberger did write a book. It's a very small book, but it, it just was perfect. It was exactly what I needed to hear, and that's what I hear from a lot of people who have read it. It's called Losing a Child to Drugs. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I saw that's available on Amazon. I went and looked that up yesterday, and actually I put a link to it from the episode. So uh, when people go to the episode here on Blog Talk Radio, they can click on that link, and it will take them to Amazon where they can you know, look at the book and purchase purchase it if they wish. Uh, do you have on your website, do you have like a chat room? Do you have a support forum? Um, it's not quite a chat room, but it's a an area where people can comment on, on the articles written and then go back and forth, so it's kind of like that. Um, I think we were, we just got our, the, the website re- redone probably two months ago. So we're still, you know, it's still, there's a lot of content and a lot of things that we want to put on it. So we have a a slideshow of pictures of of people who want their loved ones, photograph and name um, put on on the website and a little bio of, um, you know, just a 50-word kind of what they were like and, you know, their most favorite things about them but not not exactly a a chat room. Okay. Um are you uh is Graspital involved in working at prevention of drug related deaths of uh, overdose prevention or harm reduction programs at all? Well, uh we are um we meaning Grass, not uh, a lot of our members are interested as well in in Naloxone or Narcan availability and 911 Good Samaritan laws, and they they will you know take actions and call their their representatives for things like that. But um, I'm very involved in those things, and my husband is as well. But as far as the members, I I wouldn't want to speak for them because some people are and some people are are just there for the the help with coping with their grief. But definitely that is uh, an important part of it for us because um, I've been involved with harm reduction and prevention methods and and minimizing the harm of behaviors for a long time as a social worker working in in AIDS. 
and so it and I learned from the best from Edith Springer and from going to social work and AIDS conferences and so I um well as a personal example I actually in 2001 my son was using methamphetamine intravenously and it was a very very hard time in our lives and he didn't he had left the house because he relapsed in rehab and was on the street and we didn't, well not on the street but he was with staying with other people and i told him I would leave him needles, and I happened to have the exact ones people shoot drugs with from B12 injections that I happened to have to give myself years ago. And I had a box. They come in 100, and there was, you know, probably 80 of them in there, and I don't even know why I still had them, but they were under the bathroom sink, and so I would I would leave him a few at a time in a bag outside his room and with a note begging him to come home and and he would leave the note behind unopened and take the needles. But, you know, some people think that's crazy and some people think that's encouraging him to use drugs, but he was going to be using the drugs anyway, and I knew that. And I even talked to this drug counselor of the rehab that he relapsed in sober living about it, and and he said if it was his son, he would do the same thing. And so I have no regrets about that. And when Jeff died, he... um he was HIV negative and Hep C negative, and that was very important to me because I knew if he was to recover um, from his addiction, and he found out that he had HIV, that would have, he would have just given up on life because he knew too much about it. Having a mom that that worked with end stage patients for so long, and having met some of them, and seen what what it was like back in those days, so. Um, and that way we're involved in it, but grasp as as a um, community on on Facebook and in our support groups, people talk about it because there's it always seems to be half the group is wants to do something, and the other half just want to move through their grief and, and get help with that, and they don't they are not activists or in any way but it's it's a it's a weird thing to see because the ones that do you kind of have to move them in a different direction and help guide them and get them involved in in things that are different from grass so you have Mm -hmm. to have Mm -hmm. for the people that don't that you know think that 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 i'm crazy that i would do that for my son you know so it's a fine line with, with grass well, sometimes one thing that uh, people can do when they have groups like this is to set up a subgroup for people that have a special interest, such as uh, interested in pursuing harm reduction. I mean, we've done that with our alcohol harm reduction support groups. We've had people that are, their drug of choice is not alcohol, but they've come to us because, you know, they find our programs very applicable and very relevant to their problems. And so what well, we decided... Eventually, I mean, the drug users said, well, let's have a separate drug users Yahoo group. And so we set up a separate group for them and, and separate from the main group for the for the drinkers. And it worked out really well. Right. Well, we have we have sort of done that, but I wanted the focus to be on grasp tonight because the people really need that. And um, our, the, our main nonprofit is called Broken No More, and that's named after 
because my son called himself broken and he thought something was wrong with him because he couldn't no matter how hard he tried he could not he could not maintain any length of time and sobriety and um that's where we do a lot more of that kind of work and the people that are you know on the same page we have a facebook page for that too and they they go there and so that that's really our chat room is facebook for for both topics and we we have a lot of grass members that are very involved in in broken no more as well Tell me a little bit more about Broken No More. I didn't get a chance to visit that website uh, before I did oh, this interview. Okay. Well, we're we're just kind. Of, we are. My husband and I believe that this is an illness, and this is not a moral failing or a character flaw, and that many many wonderful people become addicted to drugs, and that they shouldn't have the stigma placed on them, which I I think is a main cause that cause for not for things not changing and more research not being done because it's just those people it's those you know junkies and so mm-hmm. trying to reduce the the stigma associated with addiction and alcoholism and um try to get help for people and change some of the policies that are in existence now that that hurt people you know move move the focus from a criminal issue to a public health issue, which is what it is. And as for some of the grass members doing, um, they they get very involved. The International Overdose Awareness Day is August 31st every year. It's going on the 11th year. And for two years in a row, our, a lot of our chapters across the country have done events, marches, and um, fundraisers and things in their own communities to acknowledge that, and they wear the pins. And um, you know, we're trying to prevent this from happening to other people. That's why we care about this. I don't have any other children. I'm not a grandparent, so I just I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and some of them have children. And you know, this needs to stop. We're we're at epidemic levels here, and so. Anything we can do to change change the the tone of of the whole it is an epidemic so that people don't judge and they don't um, stigmatize you and so they care enough to try to help you and that's one reason grass is so important. People can't talk even among their own family members sometimes about their grief because we as parents or spouses or boyfriends, girlfriends, brothers, sisters, but um, definitely as parents, we're, we're blamed and stigmatized as well. We must have done something wrong or our, our child wouldn't have turned out like this. And so it's a safe place on Facebook and in the support groups to to talk about your child, the good things, the hard times, the we call it the roller coaster from hell. <laughs> When you're going through an addictive illness with someone and you have your ups and downs, and when you have your up, it's all, you're still always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so it's a that's one reason that it is so important because we not only lost our loved one, but we went through, you know, for me it was 12 years. For other people it was two or three. For other people it was 20 years of living this life of hope and you know as long as they're alive you have hope and when they die it's gone and it's a, it's a 
very complicated um, sort of grief because of that. Well, it's uh, really important to try and do things to keep drug users alive and healthy because we know that uh, most drug users will eventually recover from the from the addiction. That is the normal outcome. But, you know, some of the laws we have that, you know, keep the drugs illegal, they make it hard to tell, you know, what your dose is that you're taking. Uh, you know, the, the, they make it much more likely that people, you know, will will have a drug overdose, you know. In right. Canada, in Canada, where in Vancouver, they have the safe injection room. And I don't think, I think that, I'm trying to remember, but I think they told me no one had died of an, of an overdose uh, that was using the, the safe injection room because they had medical supervision. I think that's true. I read that too. And and the, the crime rates go down and the HIV rates go down and hepatitis C and other illnesses and, you know, people carry on, you know, much better quality of life until they're ready for treatment. It's not that we want them to use drugs. We don't want them to use drugs. We want them to stay alive and stay safe until they're ready to get treatment. That's what harm reduction is about. And until people really understand it, they kind of, you know, it gets their back up. They don't, it's like, are you crazy? But once you understand the issues and and the harm reduction pro- programs are wonderful as far as getting people in and getting them services and you know maybe giving them having them connect with with the the facility and so they have a, a place where people go for them that they aren't judged and that that's incredibly important and then you can ease them into well you know maybe you do want to try to stop using this drug and. So it's it's certainly not going to happen if they're shooting up in an alley somewhere. Yeah, really, harm reduction programs are a way to enable people to recover. They're not about enabling people to use drugs, but you know when you when you can accept people as they are and don't judge them, and you know that's that's part of the reason why people keep using drugs is because they're so unhappy about themselves, they're so miserable, and they're so judged and stigmatized, and the more they're judged and stigmatized, the more reason there is to use drugs. Exactly. That's very true. There's a lot of self-loathing and and shame with drug users, and, you know, I know my son felt that way, and he just felt trapped. He felt like he was never going to escape from that, and he, he felt, you know, a, a lot of worthlessness. And even though he had a lot to offer, and he was a great kid, and he had tons of friends, and you know, he was funny and very loved, and and all you know, all those things. And and it's a kind of interesting, Ken. When I first started doing this, I thought my son was unusual and unique in that because he he was such a great person. He was just kind and gentle and sweet and, you know, an animal lover and, you know, would give anybody his last dollar. And I find that the people on grass, their loved ones are just like that. It's mm-hmm. so common, the characteristics that, that we share. And I had a mom in my, in my face-to-face group once say, I don't, I don't get it with you people on Facebook. You, you think your kids are saints or something. You're idealizing them. And then what I came to realize is that 
some not everybody is a wonderful person and has all those characteristics. And if you've gone through this for 25 years, maybe you finally just can't stand it anymore and you don't like the person anymore. But, you know, it's. I think what happens is the people that come to grasp are the ones who have loved ones who are really wonderful people. And they did, most of them hang in there. And, you know, some of our members did try the tough love because it's shoved down your throat, especially as a parent, that you need to do this and you're enabling and you're codependent and you need to kick them out. And, you know, you don't, you hear that from a therapist who's supposedly an authority and lots of people listen. And, and then, you know, what happens if they die during that period of time that you've done that? You know, how do you feel then? It's just, it's heartbreaking. You know, they're trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was wondering, did you ever look at the craft program that Robert Myers developed? I I was not familiar with it, honestly, and I did look at it, and it looks very interesting and, and, and very like it would be very effective because it's, it's the opposite of what interventions are usually about. But I I had never heard of it. I asked a couple people if they had heard of it that are in the in the treatment field and they hadn't heard of it either. But for me, my son never he was in rehab nine times and he never refused to go ever. And so I, I never needed help with that. He was always willing to go. The only problem we ever had was that there when he really needed it, there was no space. In fact, he died two days after getting out of jail on a minor drug charge, and um, he was on a waiting list, a court-ordered program that he wanted, and um, up to four weeks waiting list, and he died two days later. And that happens a lot. Oh, that does happen a lot, and that's another thing that a lot of people in harm reduction are talking about is treatment on demand so that it is available when it is needed, and that's something a lot of people are pushing for. Yes, it's really important. We were talking about that in my group last night, that treatment, a woman from uh, Seattle was saying that, you know, you could just walk in the door and get treatment. I said, that is not the way it is now. First of all, if you don't have insurance and really good insurance, you know, there's only certain places you can go, and you have to wait for a bed. And then some places will put these restrictions on you, like, well, no, you have to call. You know, the person has to call. Well, that's fine. If, you know, my son was supposed to call every day, at, and so he set a, an alarm on his phone to, to remind him to call every day. And if he didn't call, he would have to go back to jail. So, um it's not it, with him. It was never an issue of him not wanting the, the treatment. He wanted it. It's just there. There's no room. There's not enough treatment. We spend too much money on incarcerating people and not enough on treatment. And that that's you know we take all that money out of the industrialized prison system and the jails and the prosecutors and and all the police that are making simple drug arrests and put that into real treatment, not just AA, not just going to meetings, because that doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And for the people it doesn't work for, for my son, it made it worse. It triggered him to use drugs, to sit there in those meetings and listen to people tell their stories. And so if it doesn't work for you, you shouldn't be forced to 
to go that way. Should you have the options for different kinds of treatment? So, and that's not really out there. Most of, most of the treatment, unless you have a lot of money, is AA meaning some group counseling, some working the steps, and you know staying sober, and that's it. And then you get out in 30 days, which is nothing, and you're expected to maintain that sobriety with all these triggers and cravings and you know, and if you have a coexisting disorder, then you're just really in trouble. And my son had attention deficit disorder, so plus a couple head injuries early in life, which, you know, he just had everything stacked against him. And that is also a very, very common story, you know, especially the attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can really a- empathize with this because um, I'm also a person that did not respond well to the 12-step approach. I, I drank more as a result. I had co-occurring depression that wasn't being treated. I'd go in and ask someone for, someone for help for depression, and they'd say, well, you have to go to AA first and be sober for six months. Yeah. Said, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, well, we've talked about these issues a lot on this show. One thing I want to mention really quickly, because we mentioned Bob Myers and Kraft. Uh, last year we did a show that we had Bob Myers and talked about Kraft. So if you on the audience want to look that up on the archive, it's a really interesting approach. And it's just the opposite of the tough love approach. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a way to talk to people to help them to change their drug use. So he talks about getting people into treatment, but it's also helping people to really make some changes. And I think it's an excellent uh, program and it's clinically studied and uh, okay we're going to move on from that I want to I want you to tell us you have an event coming up in Florida very soon right um March 29th through April 1st we're having our uh, inaugural grasp retreat and that will be so all the people on Facebook and the different face-to-face groups that you know have been talking to each other online and we feel like we know each other we know each other's kids and you know, partners and, you know, siblings and whoever's, you know, passed away. We know all, we celebrate their birthdays and their anniversaries of their, the day they died. And, you know, we just feel really connected, yet we haven't met, you know, a lot of, well, most of us. And so we're going to get together and do some, some grief work and some education about actually some harm reduction education and, try to get people involved in um, the Good Samaritan Act to save someone from dying just because their people are afraid to make that phone call. And mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, let's just tell people the Good Samaritan Act means that if you call, call 911 for someone that has a drug overdose, uh, you won't be punished for calling 911. Right. Yeah, and it's very, very limited immunity, at least in California. It's just if if you're you know dealing drugs you're gonna you'll get in trouble but if you're just partying with someone or using with someone and you have a small amount of, of drugs and paraphernalia and and you're high and the other person obviously is too that that you won't be prosecuted for those things anybody else there you know it's not like a, a free ticket anyone else that's there if they're doing something illegal they're going to be prosecuted but this will save lives hundreds and maybe thousands of lives. 
Yeah, it's been established in several places, including it's in New York City. Um, I know New Mexico also has it, and so it's very effective, especially if people know that it exists, so that they don't have to be afraid anymore, you know, to call nine one one when someone's dying of an overdose. Right. That's exactly right. Like, like the you know the abandoned baby act. It's modeled after that. Instead of teenagers dumping the baby, they just gave birth to in a trash can that they can take it to a fire station or emergency room with no questions asked. It's like that. Okay, I see we're coming up to the end of the show now. I want to thank you very much for being our guest uh, this evening. Give us again your website, your book, any information you want to close off with. Okay, the website is the the best place to start because the Facebook site is right on there, so you don't have to look for GRASP, um, and that's that's www.grasphelp.org. That's G-R-A-S-P-H-E-L-P.org. And there's lots of good articles on there and information, and it shows all our chapters and how you can find one. And if there's one near you and you're so inclined, we'd be happy to help you get one started. Okay, very good. Thank you for being with us tonight. And everyone, come back next week. We will be back at our usual time on Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. And our guest will be Andrew Tatarski, and he will be talking about the Center for Optimal Living. So thank you, everyone, and good night. Thank you.